Well, how y'all doing? I'm glad to be here. Of course, my kids tell me, Dad, now that you're old, you better be glad to be anywhere. So I am glad. <laughs> uh, thankful for what the Lord is doing in you. And um, I can never get these things to work just right. You know what I'm saying? Are y'all into this IT stuff? Yeah. I think they're demon-possessed, to be honest with you. Um, I'll, I'll get here in a minute. Um, <clears throat> thank you, Brother Jonathan and Pastor Garland for letting us come. And uh, I, I've come to understand that in this church, all I have to do is say John and somebody's going to show up. <laughs> That's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, or Sam. Yeah, something like that. So uh, <clears throat> I want to be serious with you today in the time that we have. Um, I'm not here to give you a bunch of answers. I'm here to challenge you according to the Word of God so that your life could be rearranged and God could so work through your life that the world around you could be changed in some degree. Um, we take the Bible and we, we really don't take it very seriously. Uh, in fact, we try to apply the Scripture to everyone else but us. But this is God's love letter to you and me if you know Jesus. Am I right? Well, let me give you a couple of examples, if I may, as we get started. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we try to tweak it a little bit and change it a little bit so that it meets our need. The Bible says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. That's a good word, isn't it? But we want to change one word to make it fit what we want. Here's the way we change it. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be a witness for me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the other world. It didn't say for me. It said to me. Now, what is the difference between witnessing for him and to him? Let me give you this example. If God did something amazing in your life today, you would not be employed by anyone to tell the story of what God did. In fact, you would be running to somebody to say, let me tell you what God did today. That's witnessing to him. That's witnessing to the power of God being demonstrated in your life. But if nothing's happening in your life, God isn't moving in your life, then it's easy to go out and tell someone else what they need to do. It's easy to go out on the street and say, what you need is Jesus. When all the time you're witnessing for him instead of to him. See how we change the Bible a little bit? Or in Revelation chapter 3, <clears throat> behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open that door, I'll come in and fellowship with him and he with me. Now, we use that scripture for everybody else. We use it for those who are without Christ. And we say, Jesus is standing at your heart's door and he's knocking on your heart door. If you'll open that door, he'll come in and fellowship with you. And we even have pictures drawn with Jesus standing outside a door with no knob on the door. Right? But now the truth of that scripture is this. 
Jesus Christ is not standing outside your heart's door. He's standing outside the church of Laodicea. And he's knocking on the church door. And he said, if one person in that church will open his life to me, I will so invade his life that his life will change and everything around him will change. Do you see how easy it is to take the word and put it on everybody else, but not to us? So I'm going to challenge you in these days that we're together about making the word of God come alive in you. Because if this Bible is true, then it's got to be true in you and me. Or else, the Bible becomes a Bible story that we tell to our children, but it really doesn't change me. Sir, it does change you, ma'am. It does change you. Because the Bible says it is a living word. And if it's a living word, it's got to be alive in us. Let it come alive in us. So that the watching world will see that Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he was. Now, that's the introduction. John chapter 6, I'm going to go there today. <clears throat> Speak as briefly as a preacher can. <laughs> then I'll be through and give you an opportunity to respond to what God may have said in your life. John chapter 6, while you're turning there, let me bring you up to date. It's the story of where the Lord used five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 people. Okay? Now, according to theologians, if you count everybody in the crowd, according to the theologians, there could have been as many as 15,000 people in that crowd. Now, I didn't say there were. I just said, according to theologians, there could have been. That's a little more than we have here today. And they were all hungry, had five loaves and two fish. And Jesus fed, could have been as many as 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Do you believe that? Do you? Raise your hand if you believe it. Yeah, some of you are getting there. Um, <clears throat> now here's something you don't have to raise your hand for. Do you believe God can take your life with five loaves and two fish and feed the multitude? Or is that just a story we find in the Bible? It's really not for me. Do you understand how important this is? The Word of God is invaluable. And it's got to apply to us or else it makes no sense. If it doesn't apply to you, sir, if I didn't believe that God could take your life with five loaves and two fish, I'd close the Bible and I'd never preach again. Because God is exactly who He says He is. And He will do exactly what He says He will do every single time. Every single time. And so, I want you to notice this. Um, <clears throat> Jesus did not get to see the miracle he himself performed. Now you say, wait a minute. Uh, according to the custom in that day, the master teacher would sit on an elevated platform, kind of like this. And he would teach from that elevated position. Now when Jesus blessed the bread and the fish, to whom did he give it? To you, to me. He, it's just cookie dough. Right? He gave it to you. He gave it to his disciples. Now watch this. As the disciples went, 15,000 strong, you probably couldn't tell who the person was in the, farth the farthest distance away. But the amazing thing was that the disciples saw. 
the bread multiplied. The disciples saw the fish multiplied. It wasn't Jesus just sitting there. It was Jesus now performing what he does through his disciples. That's you. That's me. Can God now give me five loaves and two fish? And I can see the miracle of it expanding and growing. That's exactly what the scripture teaches. And if you don't believe that, you might as well quit believing that Jesus is who he says he is. I mean, I'm that strong on this. Now, in the night, other boats come in. Jesus goes along to pray. The disciples jump in the one boat that is there and head across the lake. Next morning... People get up, no Jesus, no disciples. You'll have to read it for yourself. And then when the boats came in during the night, they said, wow, we got to find these people. So they jump in the boats, head across the lake. It's a traffic jam on the lake. They get to the other side. In John chapter 6, we pick up this story in verse 25 of John 6. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus, totally ignoring their question, said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now, let me put that to you in Kentucky language. You know why y'all here this morning? You're here because you got a free dinner last night. And you're looking for a free breakfast this morning. Isn't that what it said? My translation. And then he made this amazing statement. The amazing statement is this. Do not labor for food which perishes. Boy, that hit me like a ton of bricks. The Holy Spirit drove a stake in my heart. And you know what he said to me? Lonnie, you've been working 40 to 60 hours every week. In order that you could provide food. Now, you know, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. Right? But I guarantee you, if you're walking with the Lord, you are working. Christianity is not a place for lazy people. Not a place. Okay? He says, do you know, why is it, sir, that you work 40 to 60 hours every week? Is it because you want to provide for your family? You want to provide food. You want to provide clothing. You want to provide shelter. You want to provide all that. But unless I miss it, if you're reading a Bible that's written in red, this should be written in red because Jesus said this. He said this, do not labor for food which perishes. I can't make it any plainer than that. Do you know everything you see here is going to perish pretty soon? And if all you're working for every week, 40 to 60 hours every week, is so you can get a paycheck, you'll get a paycheck and miss life. You'll miss God's blessings for you. Now, if you don't believe that, you can, I, I'm going to ask you to turn there, but you can. I'll kind of go through this in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 says something like this. Don't worry about what you're supposed to eat. Why don't you consider the sparrow? I'll tell you, the sparrow doesn't sow, nor does he reap, but God feeds them. Doesn't God love you more than the sparrow? You know why God does? Because you are created in the image of God, a sparrow is not. And so God loves you enough 
to care for you and feed you. Now, don't spend your time worrying about what you're going to eat. Because God already has that. And then he goes on to say, don't worry about what you shall wear. I t- won't you consider the lily of the field? I tell you, Solomon, in all of his glory is not dressed like one of these. Doesn't God love you more than the lily of the field that's here today and burn up tomorrow? Does God know how to feed you? Does God know how to clothe you? And then it goes on to say this. First seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things will be. Do you believe that? Or is that just another story in the book? I believe it. I believe God knows how to take care of you more than you know how to take care of yourself. God knows how to provide for you better than you know how to provide for yourself. Don't work for things which perish. But, he says, rather for those, the food which endures to everlasting life. You know what that means? Invest yourself in something bigger than you. And I will guarantee you, the kingdom of God is bigger than you. It's bigger than Christ the Rock Church. It's bigger than the county church. It's bigger than the state church. It's bigger than the world church. The kingdom of God is God. And so invest yourself in God. And I'll... Throughout the course of this week, I'll tell you how to do that step by step. Because I believe that when we invest in God, uh, great things happen in the kingdom. Don't work for food which perishes, but that which endures to everlasting life. Finish the rest of the statement, which the Son of Man will. What did it say? Will give you. You mean God will give you this stuff? Lest I miss it, that's what he said. Now, the question is, do we really believe that? Or is that just another story we put in the book? You understand where I'm going with this? Um, And then they said to him, Lord, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Now, let me put this in context for you. This is not just a frivolous question. They had just seen the Lord feed 15,000, maybe, with five loaves and two fish. So they came to the Lord the next morning seeking him, and here's what they said. In my translation, what can we do that we can do what you just did? What can we do that we can work the works of God? Isn't that what he asked? Isn't that a legitimate question? What can we do that we can do what you did? And Jesus said, greater works than I have done will you do. How can we do that? And Jesus' amazing response was this. This is the work of God. That you believe in him whom he has sent. Period. Not a question mark. Not an exclamation point. It's a done deal. Period. The end. You mean all I have to do is believe in Jesus? Well, let me ask you. For those of you who received Christ, how did you receive him? Didn't you believe that Jesus Christ 
lived a sinless life? Didn't you believe that he died on a cross for your sins? Didn't you believe that he was raised again for your justification? Didn't you believe that he ascended back to the right hand of the Father and there he's making intercession for you and me? Didn't you believe that? You believed it so strongly that you received it into your life and God changed you forever. You received it. You believed it. But now that we believe it and he's changed us, we believe we've got to work out everything ourselves. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they figure out what to do next. Is that what he said? No. He said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You know, we know how to do for God, but we don't know how to follow God. We've been taught how to do for God, but we've never been taught how to follow God. And our whole life should be that we are following the master. And when I was a boy growing up in a farm, we had to go out in the snow and feed the cows and pigs and all those stuff. I grew up on a farm in eastern Kentucky. And my dad was, to me, uh, as a young boy, he was a giant of a man. And he would hold my hand and he would drag me along out to the barn to feed the cows and, and cattle. And he would make steps in the snow. And as a boy, I remember I would have to jump just to get in step with my dad. And boy, I remembered that when Jesus said, you need to follow me. Just keep in step. Just keep in step with me. Can somebody praise the Lord today? Just keep in step. That's all you need to do. And when you keep in step with the Lord, he is leading you in the right direction. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And he said, here's all you got to do. You got to believe. Incredible to me. Now, I've been a pastor, denominational worker, led entire state conventions and different kinds of work. I've been a college administrator. I've been all that. And the last church I was in took me to South Haven, Mississippi, a little church running less than 100. They said, unless you come to be our pastor, we feel like we're going to close our doors. Anybody ever said that to you? But the Lord already spoken to us. And he said, you need to take your journey now and go south, Joshua. And I thought, whoa, take my journey now and go south? I don't know where south is. I was in Ohio at that time. And then when that little church called... I said, okay, God's in this. So I went to that little church. Five years later, that little church had grown to over 500. We'd built a new uh, building, $3.4 million, moved into it virtually debt-free. It was an amazing, affluent church. And they bought my wife and I our dream home. They bought us a five-bedroom, three-bath, Tudor State Executive home right near a 40-acre lake. A guy in the church said, now you can't live near a lake, not have a boat. So he gave me a new bass boat. They Cadillacs, whatever we wanted, we had. And I'm thinking, man, I'm going to just retire here and live the life of Riley. That's my last name, by the way. In case y'all wondered. And I thought, I'm just going to settle down and retire here. But uh, Belinda's mom, my mother-in-law, lived with us for the last seven years of her life. She passed away in our home. We took her back to Lynch, Kentucky, where my wife is from. I'm from a place called Hazard. If you remember, I am not a Duke boy. (laughs) 
And we took her back to bury her there beside her husband. And while we were there, several people came by and said, you're a preacher, aren't you? I said, I sure am. They said, we need somebody to come to the mountains and help us. Nobody will help us here. And we, when we looked at the poverty, uh, the hopelessness, the helplessness, the uneducated, and saw that in the eyes of the people, we responded as most Christians do. We said, man, you do need help. <laughs> and we'll what? Yeah, we'll pray for you. That's exactly what we said. Man, I want to get all back down to Mississippi, join that, you know, enjoy that big bass boat, that big lake and all that stuff. And, uh, and if the Lord brought them to my mind, I would pray. But on the way back to Mississippi, God spoke to my wife and I at the same time. We began to weep. And God said, that's where I want your life to be. And we said, okay, Lord, we'll go. And the Lord said four things to us. Number one, he said, listen, when you get to Lynch, you won't have a big fancy home. There are no fancy homes in Lynch. If you have a fancy home, God bless you, been there, done that. Uh, there are no fancy homes in Lynch, but God's given us a nice home. He said, you won't have big fancy automobiles, but God's given us some nice automobiles. Now, you notice the word I'm using? God gave us. And he said, you won't have a big six-digit income salary with all the perks. That was in 99. But he said, I want you to know, though you don't have these things, I want you to know that you'll have me. I said, Lord, as long as I have you, you're all I need. Now, sir, you need to, ma'am, you need to settle this somewhere. Is Jesus really all you need? Or do you need Jesus plus something else? Jesus Christ will never be an add-on to your life. In fact, Jesus said, I am your life. Not that he'll give it to you. He's it. And Jesus Christ can be your life. So we went back to Lynch, Kentucky with no promise of a job. Now, believing God starts very small. Are you with me so far? You're not getting bored, are you? No. Okay. If you get bored, do like this. Don't pick your nose, but just do like this, and I'll know that it's time to move on. <laughs> okay. It starts small. My wife and I, we love snow. Y'all get a lot of snow up here too, right? On the mountain. Yeah, we get about 60 inches a year, usually, and, but not at one time, you know, that's occasionally. And we'd love to get out in the parking lot, and we got a two, I got a two-wheel drive truck. And we get out in the parking lot, and we do donuts. Yeah. Slide around. I hope you don't throw rocks at me or anything like that. We just like to have fun. So we were going down to find us a parking lot. It was snowing one day, and this widow lady called and said, uh, I forgot my um, prescription down at the drugstore. Would you and Melinda run, mind running by and getting my prescription? I said, oh, we'd be glad to because we're just out having fun anyway. We're going down to Pizza Hut after that and just have a pizza. So we go get her uh, prescription, take it home. She hands Belinda a $10 bill. Belinda said, no, no, no. We, we don't want any money. The Lord sent us here to help. We're just glad we can help you. And uh, she said, no, so I want you to take this $10 bill. And we were taking a missionary offering at that time. And <clears throat> Belinda said, uh, oh, why don't you just give that to a missionary? And she looked at Belinda and said, well, aren't you a missionary? She said, yeah. So she threw the $10 bill down. And uh, she said, you know, if you don't pick up the $10 bill, it's going to lay there in the snow. So we picked it up, went to Pizza Hut. <laughs> Thought, we got a free pizza going on here, right? 
And so I walk in there, and there sits Homeless Tommy. Now, Homeless Tommy, we don't really have homeless people. But Tommy was the guy who moved from empty apartment to empty apartment till they caught him. They would kick him out, and he'd move to another empty apartment. And I asked Tommy, Tommy, how are you doing today? He said, man, I'm not doing well. I said, what's the matter? He said, it's cold. My old kerosene heater um, lost its wick. And I said, I need a wick for my old kerosene heater. I said, would you up in the truck? But then I'll take you down. We'll go down to the hardware store, and we'll find one. So we go down to the hardware store, and we find one wick for his little kerosene heater that costs $9.95. Do you understand? We had to connect that God was providing for us and Tommy in a way that only he could. In fact, God gave us five cents more than was needed. You see, believing God starts small. But everything God gives to you is cookie dough. Now, it may take on a million forms. It can look like a horse. It can look like a farm. Look like an RV, a four-wheeler, a skis. It could look like a million things. But it's all cookie dough. And how you use that cookie dough will determine whether or not God will give you more. Because His promise is, if you're faithful in the little, I give you much. But we don't want to be faithful in a little because we, want, we don't want to, we want to hang on to it. So now we fast forward the DVD or the live stream, whichever one. Um, <clears throat> we come to a time when somebody needs some shelters built. And we didn't have a retreat center. So we had 600 people showed up the first year, 1,200 the second year. And I'm in a town of 800. So we got more people coming to town. I got people in town. Where are you going to put these people? Where are they going to sleep? Where are they going to eat? Hopefully, where are they going to take a shower during that week? So uh, I go down to the local lumber companies. I tell them who I am. My name is Lonnie Riley. I'm a missionary. I come to help folks rebuild their homes and lives in Jesus' name. I want to start an account with you. But I want you to know I don't have any money. (laughs) But if you allow me to get some Material from you, whenever God pays me, I'll pay you. They did what you did. Most of them, they laughed at me. (laughs) Except one. They said, okay, we'll do it. So we were going to build a bathhouse, shelter house, so that these people could have a shower place to come to. And I went down to the lumber store. This team was going to come up and help us build it. I went down to the lumber store and put on credit $15,000 worth of material. And so a couple of weeks went by. The manager calls me up, said, now, Mr. Riley, you're going to pay for this, aren't you? I said, I told you, when God pays me, I'll pay you. And so this team comes in from Jasper, Georgia. And uh, they set up a camp in the, in the park where they were building the thing. It looked like a bunch of gypsies in town. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And uh, this guy comes up to me and said, our pastor heard about your story up here, and he felt sorry for y'all. I said, oh, yeah? He said, yeah. I said, so they decided to take up an offering. They took up an offering in our church, and he said, here's the check. It was $15,000. Yeah. So I go down, pay off the lumber company. They call me sir when I walk in there now. <laughs> you see, that's just like God, isn't it? Now we fast forward the DVD again. We got 2,000 people coming to town. We need a place for them to stay. And you saw it on the video. For those of you who watched it, our Solomon's Porch Retreat Center. A guy said, 
you uh, find out who owns that. I'll buy it for you unless you use it for 10 years for a dollar a year. Four floors, 89 rooms. I said, okay. So I found out who owned it, hooked up the company that owned it with this investor. And about three months later, he called me back and said, that deal fell through. He's not going to buy that. I said, man, don't sell that. He said, why not? I said, because I believe God wants to use that in the mountains for his glory. He said, you really believe that? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, why don't you buy it? That's called putting your faith where your mouth is. I said, okay, I will. How much you want for that? $85,000. Can't take anything less. I said, okay, I'll buy it. He said, how much money you got? I said, oh, I don't have any money. <laughs> I said, but my heavenly father's rich. And when he gets ready, he'll buy this building for me. He said, I know you're a man of faith, but the best I can do is hold it for you for 30 days. I said, well, just hang on to it. There should be sufficient time for my father to come up with that kind of money. Now, we don't do fundraisers. If you do, that's fine. I'm not anti-fundraisers. We just think that God knows what you need. He knows where the provision is, and he knows how to put them together. So we just let God do that. So we began to pray. God began to send us in, send us in money. It was amazing. And one of our friends passed away. His estate sent us a check for a few thousand dollars. And said, use this for whatever you want. Now, watch this. I had to decide, is this cookie dough or is this mine? It's a constant thing. God's constantly giving you stuff. And if you're not careful, you're going to start becoming selfish with that which God gives. And you'll suppress what God really wants to bring to you. And so I told my wife, I said, honey, let's start an account. We didn't expect this money. And any unexpected money we get, we will put into this account. No problem. Three weeks into the deal, God had given us $25,000. We hadn't asked anybody for a penny. We were just praying. And so this guy calls me back from St. Louis, and he says, uh, are you ready to close in that building in Lynch? I said, yes, sir, I'm ready when you are. He said, okay, today's Tuesday. Next Tuesday will be your 30 days. Bring me a cashier's check for $85,000. I'll bring you the deed. We'll just exchange it. It'll be yours. I said, okay, you get the deed ready. I'll be there. He said, how much money you got? I said, I got $25,000. He said, now you know you need 85. I said, yes, sir, but I don't need it today. <laughs> you told me next week. God's never late or early. He's always, always on time. So I go out of town on Wednesday, call my wife on Thursday. She said, hon, this guy called today and said he had been praying for us, and the Lord had instructed him to send us down some money to use on the old building. I said, well, that's great, baby. Just tell him send it on down. Whatever he doesn't send, we'll pray for. Day's Thursday. Got the next Tuesday. No use to worry about this. So I called her back on Friday. I said, he hadn't said anything about that money? She said, yeah, he wired it down today. I said, wired it down? How much did he wire down? She said, $65,000. Now, if you know anything about money, you can't go to the bank and just get wired money out of the bank. I tried. You can't do that. You can't do it. And so it goes through this process. And the money came available Tuesday at 12 o'clock. And I got a cashier's check for $85,000 handed to Mr. Iron there now what we call our Solomon's Porch Retreat Center. And he said, boy, you sure are a man of great faith. I said, no, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the Father. I told you that he would take care of this, and you can come to know the Father just like I do through his son Jesus. And he gave his heart to Christ that day. You understand? God knows what he's doing. But it starts fall. You believe God can do a $10 thing. Can God do a $15,000 thing? Can God do an $85,000 thing? And then you fast forward the DVD. Sitting in my office, 
I get a call from pastor downtown. He said, I got a guy flying in from Florida. Wants to meet with you and come up and look at your retreat center. I said, okay. He comes up, looks around. And uh, he said to me, I got a guy flying in from Dallas, Texas. Now, the nearest airport to us is three and a half hours away. What are the chances that somebody's going to fly from Orlando, Florida, and Dallas, Texas, and want to meet with me? I don't know these people. Never heard of them before. Do you understand? God is in every bush that burns. Isn't he? The Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. If he is ordering your steps, sir, the next person you meet may be the person that God has directed to your life to accomplish his will through you. Amazing. So I go down and meet with these two guys. They weren't too impressed, and neither was I, to be honest. And they said, we want to meet with you again on Wednesday. They took me across the mountain, showed me this 25-acre college campus built by the Presbyterians back in 1916 as a preacher school. 1914, I'm sorry. As a preacher school. We looked around about three hours, and I said, why is it God would want me to look at this with you? you do, do you need my help fixing it up or what? They said, no, uh, we're old. We're afraid we're going to die, and the state's going to take this over. And we kept looking for someone who was helping mountain people, and God kept leading us to you, so we want to give it to you. Now, some things you don't need to pray about. <laughs> Somebody offers you a 25-acre college campus, I suggest you be prayed up already. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll take it. Next word out of their mouth, what are you going to do with this campus? Everybody wants you to come up with a five-year strategic plan. You know what my response was? I don't have a clue. <laughs> but the same God who just gave me this campus will be the same God who will tell me what to do next. You see, you don't have to figure out everything for God. He's already got it figured out. All we have to do is follow him. Learn that. Learn that. And you're well on your way to becoming all that God wants you to be. So now we have a beautiful 25-acre college campus that's untelling what it might be worth. You know how it started out? Believing God with 10 bucks. Do you see? This is not hard to figure out. All we have to do is believe God. Believe God. Now, some of you are in a tough way today. And maybe you've come to that point that you have to believe God for something. Don't believe God for everything. Now hear this close. If you're going to believe God, you're going to have to hear what he says. Are you with me? You can't, you can't be in debt, $50,000, and say, oh, I'm just going to believe God he'll pay me out of debt. No, I don't think that's in the scripture anywhere. But you know what? You let God speak to you concerning that debt, and whatever God says, it's done. When Belinda and I went back to Lynch, Kentucky, God spoke to us and said, The poor and the needy, from his word, Isaiah 41, The poor and the needy are thirsty, and there is no water for them to drink. But I, the God of heaven, have heard them, and I will make a river to flow from the mountains, so that all men will know that God has done this thing. Read it. And when God said that to me, my whole life changed. It didn't matter that I went from affluence to poverty. Who else did that? Jesus left the splendor of heaven, gave up everything, and died on the cross for me. 
Who am I to think that God would not call me from affluence to poverty? Because poverty is all relative. You understand that? But the man is always rich who is in the presence of God. He is always rich. And so don't just believe anything. Believe what God says. And then it's a done deal. Whatever God said here is going to be true in you. I don't know if you give an altar call here. But I want to give an altar call. Here's what I want you to do. If I may do this, Pastor Jonathan. If you want to do business with God about your belief this morning. And you don't want anybody messing with you. You just want to come and do business with God. I'm going to ask you to to come to this side right here. And you just kneel here and pray. Now, if you're a prayer warrior, please don't come over here and bother these people. Just let let them pray and do business with God. But sometimes... You want somebody to come and put a comforting hand on your shoulder and whisper a little prayer to the Father on your behalf. If that's true for you, you can come right here. Now, prayer warriors, you be sensitive to those who come. You don't have to ask them what they're praying for, what they're praying about. You just put a hand on their shoulder, whisper a little prayer to the Father, and go back to your seat. And they'll be encouraged by that. You understand what we want? Now, maybe some of you need to come to receive Christ. Maybe some of you need to come become a member of this fellowship as they receive members. Pastor Jonathan will be right here. Other pastors will be here to receive you. Now, here's what we're going to do. Do we sing in this? We just play. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pray with you. Then I'm going to ask you to stand. I won't say another word. Pastor Jonathan will be right here. And I'm going to ask you to find that aisle. And you come and take your appropriate place before the Lord. And deal with this belief issue. Your life and your community depends on it. Depends on it. Let me pray. Father God, we're grateful for the simplicity of your word. Thank you, Lord, in its simplicity that it becomes profound as it works out practically in our lives every day. So, Lord, would you speak to that one person at Christ the Rock Church? As you stand outside the church door and said, is that one person willing to open his life and believe me so that everything will change? I trust you, Lord, to speak to the people, whomever you will, and you invite to your altar those that you wish. So this invitation time is not from me, it's from you. And we're not here to count heads we're here because you want to count our heart and I pray that it might be so in Jesus name would you stand please and you find your way here as Pastor Jonathan comes God bless you as you make your commitment before the Lord